Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces podcast, episode 329. Um, I'm joined this week by Simon Bird of The Inbetweeners, of Friday Night Dinner, and we also, I was excited to discuss his directorial debut, Days of the Bagnold Summer, which blew me away. I got a preview link screening thing recently, and it was, uh, it's wonderful. It's out now. It's on like prime video to rent or buy and on sky demand to rent or buy and all that kind of thing all those places and i recommend it uh you'll hear a load about it so i won't ramble on too much now thank you for all the love for the recent episodes obviously last week was a three-part isolation drunk cast where we talked about some heavy stuff but we also talked about arguably the best game ever invented and it's one of my favorite conversations of all time the the prank game that chris put forward and the the direction in which it went was uh, a lot of fun. And the week before, obviously, we reissued the Killer Mike and the Akala um, episodes. And there's been a lot of l- love and a lot of continued sharing for them because they feel very relevant right now. Speaking of right now, there's going to be a bonus episode on Friday where I'm talking to a professor and a doctor, both in the kind of social sciences areas about the defund the police movement. Uh, It's something that's being talked about a lot online at the moment. Um, So I I wanted to look into it more because I thought it sounded interesting. I didn't know if it sounded good or bad. As soon as I looked into it, I realised it's there's so much more depth to it than what the name sounds like, if that makes sense. So I decided rather than rambling on about it myself or... Essentially, I wanted to educate myself and I thought, why not educate some others as well. So yeah, I got two experts on it. It took a lot of digging and hunting. What I love about the the academic world is that they're not like podcasters and they won't just talk on something they don't know anything about. (laughs) So I hit up a few different people I know who recommended other people who felt that they weren't qualified to recommended other people who felt that they weren't qualified to recommended other people until I found the people who were the exact right people to talk to. So that's exciting. That's going to be out on Friday. It's going to be really interesting. So tune into that with an open mind and whether you're in support or against what you perceive the defund the police movement to be. Again, you could be supporting it thinking it's something that it completely isn't. You could be against it thinking it's something that it completely isn't. I know I've heard it mentioned on a lot of podcasts and the typical arguments are of what you're going to do when someone gets shot or someone gets raped and there's no police. Turns out that's not what, that wouldn't be an issue. But that'll all be explained. That's not, again, that's not an argument against it. There are arguments against it. And we will discuss all of these things. But that's actually one that, it's one that I thought, I thought, well, come on. And then, yeah, there's a lot more more to it. And also I'm, I'm speaking to an American, an expert in America and an expert in the UK to talk about the, the differences between the countries and if it's viable or not viable and it is different situations and different answers so yeah anyway that's going to be on friday and then yeah loads of good episodes to come so on with on with this one thank you as ever for tuning in i'd never met or spoken to simon bird before we've recorded this over zoom and yeah I thoroughly enjoyed it he's a a lovely guy a very funny guy as expected and a very honest and open guy so yeah we Let's just get into it. This is episode 329. 
of the Distraction Pieces podcast. This piece of fiction is the intro to Distraction Pieces. This piece of fiction is the intro to Distraction Pieces. This piece of fiction is the intro to Distraction Pieces. This piece of fiction is the intro to Distraction Pieces. And that is perfect, and we are rolling. I'm joined today by S- S- Simon Bird. How are you, sir? I'm very well, thanks. How's it going? It's it's good. It's interesting times. How are you finding? It is it is interesting times, yeah, isn't to, it? To be mild, <laughs> we... to play yeah. it really lightly. Um, how are you finding parenting and gearing up to promote a film during a pandemic? That's a hell of a, a triple. Yeah, it's awful. Yeah, well, it's awful. Obviously, I can imagine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I've got a two-year-old and a four-year-old, so it has been full on. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm not even. Let's. I'm not even thinking about the the film. I'm, I'm, it's been all about sort of uh, keeping them entertained. Yeah, they're voracious in terms of um, <laughs> the, the parental attention. <laughs> they they feed off it. Uh, so yeah, it's been um, it's, it's been a long few months. It's 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 a crazy one because. I mean, we'll talk about it more as we go on because the film industry in general pleads ignorance to the existence of families. It kind of makes demands on your time regardless of your... or attempts to make demands on your time regardless of your situation. But this is your directorial debut, so this will be something that you've built up to for a long time. Is there stress or is there relief to kind of have to go, well, there's more important things in the world... (laughs) you know, and, and not be able to have that focus that, 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 that you may have been pressured to, to have on it otherwise. Oh, yeah, I, I think definitely relief. And I think, to be honest, I, I, I'm sort of... I'm over the film anyway. You know, I'm, I was over it as soon as it was finished. <laughs> uh, I'd sort of forgotten it existed. No, I'm being facetious, obviously. It's, it's obviously great and exciting that it's coming out, but definitely like, it's not... It's not the primary thing I'm I'm thinking about. Yeah, I don't think it would be to be honest. If even if there wasn't a, a global pandemic yeah. to uh, keep us all, you know, on the edge of our seats, Cause I think that's just the way the industry works as well. Is you have to sort of move on to the next thing. Yeah, uh, you've got to be constantly trying to make things happen. So yeah, for, for me, this you know we finished the film over a year ago. So. Uh, it coming out is just like it's like the final box to tick, really. Yeah, yeah. It's it's weird. With I, I mean, I discuss this all the time on here. It's weird with the nature of promo because ex- exactly as you said, each project can be really kind of all consuming, but you move on as soon as as soon as it finishes. It's, it's been the weirdest thing for me. I moved into acting four or five years ago now, and it's it's. So fascinating because you have these four or five months of the most intense relationships because you're with these same people every day in intimate situations at points, and then it ends. And if you're, if you're, you're, yeah, (laughs) see you later. And if you're keeping busy, you're into that same relationship with completely new set of people over here all of a sudden. Um, Totally, yeah. I'm sure there might be the odd WhatsApp group. Yeah. Um, that will pop up every once in a while, uh, but yeah, it, it's it's that is strange. And you'll maybe retain like one or two friends from each thing that you've been on. Yeah, but yeah, the that sort of camaraderie, like uh, we'll never forget this. Yeah, 
and then the week after it's all is instantly forgotten. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I should I should mention that the film is called Days of Bagnold Summer. I absolutely adored it, and it was a really surreal watch for, uh, for me because I grew up in Essex with a mum who was a librarian and a brother who was a metaller, and and that's essentially w- what the story is. It's a mum, and, and my parents were separated, so this was r- really kind of going. Oh, this is, is getting weirder and weirder as it, as oh, it goes a, on. Oh, it's a biopic. I, sh- oh, I should have mentioned it. It's I mean, a biopic. The dark thing is, it's a biopic with me removed. <laughs> it's, it's a biopic of my oh, mum yeah, and brother weren't. without me. Yeah, look, you weren't going to be featured. That was, <laughs> we never considered that, to be honest. <laughs> so, so what drew you... Because it's from a, a graphic novel, it's adapted as a script. And what drew you to the story... And 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 this and this this project, I guess, is your as your your step into directing. Good question. I mean, I, actually, I think the the story was the one thing where I was like, I'm not sure about this because because it's there are definite overlaps with in betweeners yeah. and the things yeah. that I'm sort of famous for, I guess. And I, I obviously I wanted to try and move away from that slightly. So the idea of doing something about a teenager growing up in suburbia <laughs> was uh, not top of my agenda. Yeah. But the, I just thought that the book was so uh, f- funny uh, and so honest and so well-observed um, and so poignant that I sort of kept coming back to it. And, um, you know, that I knew that I wanted to make a film that was in that sort of tonal territory and it was British, and it was contemporary, and I thought it would be quite cheap to make. Uh, yeah. So all those sort of things made it um, ultimately unavoidable. It's it's fascinating the reality of that process that that you do have to kind of look and go right. Well, as like as a kid, you might think the film I want to direct is this sci-fi, and it's this and it's that. And realistically, particularly for first-time writers or directors. You, you're often not going to get that huge budget. We can do everything, and to be frank, you're not going to be qualified to direct that because oh, you're not going to yeah. have the experience. So I'm not it, qualified to do anything. Ex- ex- exactly. So the kind of the beauty is to go right. Well, this uh, this feels like I can do this really well. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's affordable. Uh, it's achievable. It feels. I look at it and I don't see anything that makes me go. I'd do this if I could phone a friend of Steven Spielberg or, or whomever else yeah, yeah. to tell me how to do it. But this feels like I can do that. So it's interesting that that part comes into the, the, the realistic process rather than so the dream totally, process. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've got, it sounds massively cynical, but it's, yeah, it's, that was a big factor. It just felt totally manageable. Yeah. Both in terms of my skill set, and, you know, I've only ever been in TV programs that are set, in like here and now, yeah. Um, so I've I've never I've never seen directors or directors of photography have to do stuff that you know have to do sort of special effects and all that sort of stuff. I have no experience of that. Luckily, I think that overlaps with the sort of stories that I like to the sort of films that I like to watch. So it's sort of yeah, it all it all came together. But definitely, it was part of the thinking. Um, the thing. Uh, one of the things that I came out of this just raving about was uh, was um, Monica Dolan. Her 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 performance is just fantastic. I, I was aware of her from Mid Morning Matters and Alpha Papa and Pride, but seeing her in this more lead role that t- that has a lot of 
a lot of nuance. It's it's a beautiful role because you get to see, and again, it sounds so simple, but it's something that you will have experienced in day to day life. You get to see her as mum, and you get to see her as not mum, and you get to see the overlap and the crossover and the balance in uh, uh, between there too i guess how was that to to work with her and to, to see that performance unfold and to draw it out i guess yeah i mean she's she's a pro yeah <laughs> uh, yeah she was she was amazing but i sort of i knew she would be because i'd seen her in so much stuff and you know she, the reason i think she jumped out at me was that uh she just moves very effortlessly from drama to comedy you know she's won a BAFTA for playing Rose West. Yeah. And then, yeah. yeah, like you say, the next year she's in Alpha Papa. So, yeah, she can she can do it all, really. So I, I knew that she'd be able to bring a sort of uh, a depth and, and realness to it. Yeah, she, I mean, she, we, she's just amazing. Yeah, and and it's it's exactly that, 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 that it is that, that transition, because on the surface it feels at first as she's playing almost your stereotypical mum. Here's here's a mum in a story, and then but yeah. it is it's the layers and the and the emotion in certain scenes. It's just it's heartbreaking. It it brings that that realism, yeah, into the room. I guess. Well, I'm glad. Yeah, I, I'm glad that's the case. I think that was an, that was another fear I had with the book is that it's literally because it's from a graphic novel that they are literally cartoons. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, and they yeah. feel like they. It, it feels you start the book and you're like, oh, I've seen this before. It's you know. The librarian and the metalhead feels like, you know, archetypes. Yeah. But yeah, I, I hope there's there's a, a bit more sort of subtlety to it than that. And yeah, we definitely needed somebody of her quality to to bring that out. Was there uh, an element of again? I'm thinking of the realisticness of your own approach to this. Was there an element of knowing that your directorial debut would be a lot easier? with a cast of people like Monica Dolan, Rob Brydon, Alice Lowe, Tamsin Grigg, Tim Key, all these people who, as you said, with, with Monica, they're just absolute pros. They know what they're doing and they're all, yeah, they're fantastic. Did oh, that yeah. give I you mean, some relief? Totally. I think there's like, there are t- two elements to that really. One was with, with, with Monica was like, I, I was amazed that she, I think we were casting it around the time that, um, Basically, like Olivia Colman had just won an Oscar, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I just looked at Monica and thought, like, oh, she's somebody that can easily m- make that step up. Yeah. You know, she's somebody that people sort of recognise but don't necessarily know her name. And she's been amazing in all these great British sitcoms. So I thought she would invariably do f- films soon, and I just wanted to basically steal a march and get in there early. And then with with the rest of the cast, yeah, I mean. Part of it is is like well no the whole thing is get, getting people who are great at their job like mm. that's the whole joy of directing it's like what what an amazing privilege to be like be able to pick your sort of dream team yeah. and um, yeah I was just amazed that all those people were were up for doing it the the two that I wasn't familiar with but that were absolutely blown away by was the the kind of co lead Earl Cave and. Most of all, the sh- show stealer f- f- for me was Elliot, Elliot Spencer. Is it a Gillard? Elliot Spencer Gillard. Gillard, yeah, yeah. 
He was he just every time he was on screen, I just couldn't look away. And it was such again, it was such a big cartoony character, yet so real. And again, I've I've grown up with people like that, and yeah, it yeah. was it was yeah. He felt amazing. Or he, both of yeah. them felt amazing. It's a really it was a really hard part that one because it's like like you say in the book. So this is this character Kai, who's like uh, Daniel, the the main kid's best friend. And he's just, uh, he's sort of this, he models himself after a sort of, a sort of Viking. Um, and he w- has a sort of range of hats that he wears. He's a, like a total sort of um, self-styled freak, I suppose. Yeah. There's something of the like, something of the Russell brand about him almost. Um, and yeah, if you don't, if you don't get that right, it feels very forced and... Um, like you're tr- trying to be funny rather than it being based in truth. Yeah. But definitely my experience was I, I knew kids like that at school. So, uh, yeah, it, you know, he, he absolutely nails it in the book. And it was very, very hard bringing it to life, but Elliot did an amazing job. And Earl, like you say, in the, in the, in the sort of parts, Daniel was just a, was a great find. Cause he, um, that's a really hard part as well. In that, is like he's the centre of the film, but he's supposed to be this sort of sad, quiet, introverted kid who's sort of in a sulk for ninety five percent of the film, and so that for, that doesn't sound very watchable. Or and you, you know <laughs> you need you need the audience to like like him and be rooting for him, and it's hard to pull that off. Um, but he just has a sort of, I, I think he's going to be an absolutely huge star. He's got a real sort of magnetism to him. And underneath the sort of, the yeah, the moody exterior, you could just see that he's such a, a sweetheart. And yeah. he is in real life. He's just the nicest kid. But again, I think it's, they're both characters that are so, as you say, they're so cartoon and they, in a way, they're so forced and and fake but that's because that's the role that teenagers are playing teenagers don't yeah, know totally. who they are so they're playing the role and he, he does it perfectly of playing the role of an angry scary metaler and then every now and then you just see him cr- crack a little bit and you realize he's like oh am i playing this role right as the character i mean am i playing yeah, yeah. this right am i when he's offered weed at one point and things like that and again i remember years of, gr- of gr- growing up claiming that with my other friends who were completely fictional i did loads of drugs i did loads of this and loads of that yet anytime you actually confront you're like nah no i'm probably all right today and again it's like they yeah, are I've playing characters two, i've had i had loads earlier yeah breakfast, so, um, <laughs> exactly no i gotta take the afternoon off actually so yeah it's such a perfect and a, a, a delicate role to play because you are playing an unrealistic role if you know what i mean yeah. you've got to play someone it sounds like a weird comparison but it makes me think of of DiCaprio in, in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where he had to be an actor playing an actor who's a, a bad actor so, so at points there's there's so many levels of what he's playing that it's yeah it could get confusing yeah. but it's nailed it's 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 wonderful to watch well I'm glad I don't think he'll mind being compared to DiCaprio either <laughs> <laughs> it's not bad this has all gone very well <laughs> So it it had me thinking afterwards, where was your upbringing? Was it more here or was it more in between us or was it somewhere in between or somewhere completely different? Oh, God, that's a good question. I, I, I think I'd be lying if I said there weren't quite major overlaps with 
with the in-betweeners. You know, I didn't, I didn't have a briefcase, but I did. I had a violin case. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, um, so yeah, I mean, I was definitely, I was n- not one of the cool set, and I definitely wasn't a metalhead. But I think that definitely there's like, I think what's good about Daniel in the film is that like. I hope that character is relatable to everyone. I mean, like you say, the metal is... That's just a sort of uniform that he's trying on. Like, yeah. It's not... Uh, I don't really believe he's that into Metallica. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I think we've all we've all been through that as teenagers. And it's about trying to find, like, your own... Stake your own claim away from your parents. And that sort of weird realisation that your parents are their own people and have their own sort of internal emotional lives um and that happened you know you you come to that realization weirdly just as you're sort of thinking about leaving the house um and leaving home uh so yeah i think for for that reason i I definitely see parts of myself in daniel as well yeah has 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 that realization been drilled home a bit by becoming a parent i always remember uh, Joe Rogan had a really good bit in his stand-up that he's, he'd talk about the point in life he realised that there's no such thing as, as grown-ups, that we're all just yeah. as clued, that we assume our parents know they get, they've got it all figured out and they know all the answers and then we become them and go, oh, they didn't know anything either. The, totally, They yeah. were stumbling along too. I mean, yeah, that it's huge when you sort of realise that, isn't it? It changes your perception on everything. <laughs> I mean, and suddenly you find yourself in a global pandemic and you realise, oh, right, so the, the government actually have literally no idea what they're doing. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, and everyone's lives are at stake. Uh, yeah, but becoming a parent is definitely, I've definitely realised that. I think we made the, we started, we sort of made the film just as our first kid has been, had been born and we were... Because uh, my I say we because my wife wrote the screenplay uh, and she was pregnant with our second kid and I think we sort of realised we were basically equidistant between Daniel who's fifteen in the film and Sue who's fifty five and um, yeah so I, I think that that probably sort of fed into it a little bit because that was a big part that was a big part of what we, I loved about the book and what we tried to do with the film was make it totally even handed. There's yeah. absolutely as much Sue's story as it is Daniel's. It's really about the relationship between the two and how, you know, the actions of one invariably affects the other. So I guess on subcon- some subconscious level, that must have been, yeah, going on. Yeah, yeah. Relating to, to both characters in that way. How was it working with your wife <laughs> on, yeah. on a project? Well, I, I, I like her personally, so uh, <laughs> you know, I've got time for her. Yeah, it it was good. Again, it was something we like really tried to avoid actually because we thought it would not just us, but the producers and the financiers and everyone thought it was a terrible idea, mm. uh, <laughs> which I can I can fully understand. But ultimately, it just it made so much sense because, well, most importantly, because she's just an amazing writer. But also just because we obviously had such shorthand in the way we like, you know, speak to each other yeah. and communicate, and we've also just spent like the last fifteen years watching films together, 
and have of course no we have very similar taste and sensibility and i think you know i trusted her more than anyone that she wouldn't go away and write a script that i personally hated yeah which is always sort of the obviously the the biggest fear when you're a director is getting a script and being like oh i'm not not convinced by this (laughs) yeah i don't like it (laughs) i'm not happy that's perfect though and 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 it, it it's really interesting because a lot of people I know Louis Theroux has talked about he and his wife avoided working together for a long time and then they finally started working together and went oh why were we avoiding this like we know each yeah. other really well there's a greater understanding from the family perspective when it's a project that we've both worked on and we know I mean if one of us needs to be away working on it we're both so involved that we understand it more there's not that yeah, resentment. That, that actually, that actually is a, is a really good point, and that did make a big difference. Yeah. You know, because when, obviously when I was a f- filming, I was away for a, a month, and she was here with two young kids. Yeah. Um, and yeah, she just couldn't be annoyed about it. Yeah. So it was great. Yeah. It was the yeah. perfect crime. You sent me here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, also, also like today, to be honest, yeah. I've had to, I've kicked her out of the house. Here I am, lounging on my bed. Amazing. Having a great time. Amazing. So, I mean, you touched upon how you kind of realise parents have their own lives when you leave home. You, 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 you went to Cambridge, and that was a key part of, of, your, of your upbringing, because in the footlights you met Joe, who's, who's also in the in-betweeners, right? Yeah. One of my favourite things... I've obviously I've never been in the footlights. I've never experienced it, but I love the stories about it. Just because I all, I'm always excited to ask who was in the footlights year above you. Because at school, the year above you kids are always the cooler kids, the people you look up to, and all that kind of thing. Yet because of the footlights, we're generally going to all have heard who they are, and they've got they're going to have gone on to have these these careers in comedies. So who was in the year above, and how were they? Um, yeah, I mean, I remember this first week of being at Cambridge, the uh, the Footlights show from the year before comes back to Cambridge. Yeah. They've just done the Edinburgh Festival and they come back and do the show from last year. So I went to see that and that was um, this show called uh, Non-Sexual Kissing. Uh, and um, I'm now trying to remember everyone in it, but... Uh, I will fail to do that. But it was it was directed by, um, I think, by Tim Key and, and Mark Watson and uh, Stefan Golcheski and, and Tom Bowsden and I think Sarah Solomani were were all in it. So yeah, that that was that was obviously great. Yeah. Um, but it, it it doesn't. It was amazing to see that, but it also doesn't really have any effect on you because then you meet the people who want to do footlights in your year and you're just like 18 year old kids who are who've never really done live comedy before yeah. and are therefore very very bad at it so that i mean the, it, watching that tour show still felt like a very alien world i was yeah. convinced they would go on and have careers in professional comedy but it didn't seem like something that was realistic for for me and joe and um johnny sweet and nick mohammed and all my the friends my friends in my year yeah so, 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 how was it? I mean, the first person I messaged after watching your your film was was Tim Key because I, I thought he was he popped up out of nowhere. He was excellent. He came back saying how much he loved the film. Which, you know, when people are talking privately, 
that's all that's not always the case you know is yeah. people could be quite open to go oh yeah <laughs> particularly if you're only in a couple of uh, uh, scenes it's quite easy to go but oh, equally but- when when people are talking publicly it's very common for people to lie so yeah. there's no way no, that i no, could know that but, you're telling but, the truth here but, but, but tim i appreciate tim it's, a gr- is one, it's a good lie t- t- a tim is one as well who is so good and works so much and again it's it's a similar thing from when i used to make music is i'll have people who know an album inside and out and it'll be weird to me because i'd made that album and i've not listened to it since because i don't sit here yeah, listening yeah. to my own records so it doesn't mean as much to me and tim is one that i've had stuff before where i've gone i watched this the other night and he'll look at me a bit blankly i go you're in it so oh, am i <laughs> and he, you're the he, main part he won't realize he's in it or part of it but this was, was one he spoke warmly of how was it to direct someone from the previous f- footlights did that come to mind at all that you were like oh i'm i'm, no, I'm, 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 I'm in charge of the grown-ups now or the big boys <laughs> um well i guess to, to some extent he's he's obviously like just such an incredible once in a generation comedy talent that um yeah i was very excited that he was up for being in it I don't think I was thinking about it in terms of footlights, really, just in terms of I'm just a huge fan of his stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that, was, that was great. And that day was really fun. And um, we just... It was unlike the rest of that. I mean, everyone else in the, in the film, or most of them are sort of, I think, actors rather than comedians, first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Also, I, I, I guess maybe it is a footlights thing, ultimately, but I, I think I have... I, I just love Tim's stuff so much that I, we sort of just let him get on with it. You know, yeah. he, it, there was, that was really the only day where there was any sort of improv. And, um, yeah, there was, there was a lot of laughter. I ruined a lot of takes personally by um, bursting out laughing. I, I, can, I completely and, understand. I, I had Tim on the podcast and it's, it's one of my favourites, but it was one of the hardest to do because I'm similar. I'm just such a fan of his work and his style. He can yeah. say almost anything. And I'll be be giggling because it is all in the way he delivers it and the way his pauses and all that kind of thing. So I can completely imagine on set that there's points that that you're yeah. ruining. Takes in many ways, it's, it's, disa- it's disastrous. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's yeah. very un- deeply unprofessional of him. <laughs> so, I mean, we've touched upon in between us, and I also want to talk about a Friday night dinner as well. But in, in between us, as a starting point, that did thrust you into the into the forefront and into stardom quite quickly. It was very early in your career. And it was something that, again, it's odd comparison, but I remember talking to a few of the Game of Thrones guys who all hadn't really done anything before that. And then they signed on to some show early in their career, like, all right, we'll give this a go. And then that was 10 years of their life committed. How was that for you um, to be suddenly part of this thing and have that number one the sudden success and number two the sudden realization maybe that this is your life for an extended period you know yeah I think like the first thing to say is that obviously I wouldn't change it and it's like what an amazing opportunity it was and I'm so glad to have done it and it's you know obviously people Ask me, isn't it really annoying to have people shout catchphrases you all the time? But it, I take that as being very sort of humbling. It just means that people love the show and, and love what we did. So, so that side of it is is great, obviously. 
But equally, you're you're right that it feels like. I guess there was a part of me that I, I never came into this industry thinking really that I wanted to be an actor. I came into it as a comedian, mm. and I think the thing about comedy, what's great about it is being creative and getting to like write stuff and perform your own stuff and put your own material out there. And suddenly, it felt harder to do that because I think people assumed that. To a certain extent, I was the character from The Inbetweeners, or at least yeah. certainly that I represented that sense of humour and that that was my personal style. I think there's still, to this day, people, I think, assume that I was involved in writing it in, mm. in some way. And I love The Inbetweeners and I, I love Ian and Damon's writing, but it's not, it's not the show that I personally would have written. Mm, um, of course. So I think definitely, like, I felt... Uh, slightly obviously there'll be people listening who'll say that you know, <laughs> there's nothing to complain about and it isn't anything to complain about because obviously it opened lots of doors and I'm well aware that I would never be able to have directed a film yeah. if I without you know so, some quote unquote celebrity status behind me to help raise the money to do that but e- equally I'm going to you know I'm trying to now forge my own path and, and make stuff that you know, that I have the final creative say over. Yeah. Because, yeah, because I think, I think my path that I thought coming out of university was I'll, I'll really try and give comedy a go and that means that I'll, you know, probably try and do a stand-up show in Edinburgh and I'll keep doing sketch shows in Edinburgh and I'll sort of find my voice, to sound pretentious, um, and hopefully, you know, build some sort of career. But then, you know, the in-betweens happened so suddenly and so quickly but really I was moved into the world of acting rather than, uh, rather than stand-up and sketches. Yeah. And at some point, uh, sort of, it's taken a while, but I'm you know, trying to sort of restate my claim to doing my own thing. And, and I love that. I th- and I think it's key to mention that, that um, s- 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 uh, Days of, of Bagnold Summer um, isn't in between as vibe and comedy. It's more along the lines of films like Submarine or even... British version of films like Ghost Town and that kind of thing, where it is this more s- subtle and observational sitting with a family and then f- then finding the humour rather than here's the joke, someone's wet themselves and so on and so forth. Um, which again <laughs> yeah. is humour I love. Someone's having a wank. And, or, and, or, uh... or, or in, in between this is a great example of when it came out, I remember it coming out and thinking, oh, this sounds sh- shit, it's not going to be my kind of thing. And I yeah. watched a couple of episodes and became a massive fan because it was in spite of me feeling I was arty and and all these other things. Good humour is good humour, so it's there's, yeah. there's there's space for all of them. And I'm sure that must have been a thing for you that you're like, well, this is just great writing. But then, as you've said, at some point you go, well, this isn't what I want to do for my whole life. This isn't my writing, yeah. if you know what I yeah, mean. Yeah, yeah. You know, so so we live in a time of of untethered outrage where we are furious about the smallest thing and then i i think it's like because of of social media it's like the big brother house where people the biggest drama in the world will be that someone's eaten their bag of crisps someone else's bag of crisps and then the next day wait who who's crisps exactly that does sound exactly big actually and then the next day the big drama will be actual real-life racism, and there'll be the same yeah. level of fury. So with that in mind, how was it doing 
friends reunited because that was just a nice little re reuniting of of the cast and crew and the outrage that that it met was <laughs> that it met was kind of unbelievable like particularly w- w- where we're sitting now with all the different things that people are rightfully outraged about it seems crazy that there was such an uproar to a nice idea of people yeah. meeting up again do you remember this show yeah how dare you what? how dare you remember I, I, I'm not on social media just because I, I, I find it too s- stressful yeah. for all the reasons you've <laughs> mentioned there. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I'm, I sort of missed that wave of outrage that you're now dredging up. Thank you very yep. much. There must have been a group um, message. You, 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 yeah, you're not telling me there wasn't we, a group message. <laughs> we, we, I, I knew what was, what was going on. And to be honest, uh, I think it was... Uh, uh, I thought it was absolutely justified. I mean, we <laughs> we had <laughs> that show was that was a disaster. I thought, um, but we knew that as we were recording it, and we, were, we knew it as when it was suggested. We all said, "No, this is a terrible idea." But there was real, real pressure from from Channel Four and the production company to do it. They all said that what you said that it's harmless. It's just get you guys get back together and we'll record it. But, you know, that's just not the way things work, is it, it turns out. And there was a valuable lesson in that. As soon as something becomes formalised or there's going to be, you know, any sort of publicity about it, you've got to just be in total control. And I I try and do that across everything I do. You know, I I only like to be in... I try not to do do too much stuff. I genuinely try not to do too many podcasts. (laughs) I like to know what I'm going to say. And I like to sort of try and manage it. And... We just didn't really have any control over that that show at all. It wasn't even made by the production company that made the Inbetweeners. It was made by a, a different production company. And um, yeah, I, I, those 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 shows I think are always pr- pretty terrible because they're sort of navel gazing and saying that what you've done deserves to be remembered and sort yeah. of and um, people being sort of nostalgic about it it's always makes me feel very uneasy and and. Um, it's just very cringy, isn't it? It's it's, um, it's, it's true but, because it's 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 the 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 show itself was exactly what it was. You can like that or dislike that as a format. The problem came, and as you touched there, is how it was promoted and marketed, as if it was something other. It, it wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't pushed as honestly. We're just all getting together and having a bit of a catch up. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Sort it's of, not that. <laughs> it's not that big a deal. Um, they had all there was like an awards ceremony aspect to it that wasn't very funny and uh, was yeah just it was not it was not a fun not a fun thing to be a part of. Well, I mean, but, I mean, we could move on. I feel I've dredged it up, and now we're going to no, spend no, a chunk of the podcast on it. <laughs> it's fine. It's just very. It, I think it's good for people to know how these things happen as well. Like, yeah. it's also very difficult because like when there's when there's four of us and you're seen as a group, if three people sign up and agree, to, and agree to do it, and you're the fourth person. I'm not saying this is what happened, but this is just the di- one of the dynamics you have to deal with. It's like, if what's going to happen? The, the show still might happen, and it just looks like you've refused to do it. And yeah. that is, like, a weird thing. And people will say, oh, they've fallen out, and they're not friends, and all that sort of thing. Yeah, who so, wants to be the yeah. Jerry Hallowell? That's just totally. not- it's a tough situation. You're suddenly part of... What's weird when a show becomes that big is that it, like you become part of a brand 
and you suddenly have all these jobs you have to do as brand ambassador. Yeah. Um, that was not what you originally signed up for. I completely understand, and it gives you such a weird and unfair responsibility f- for other people. Because, again, I've, I've, I've had that in music in the past. When I decided to stop making music, it wasn't necessarily at the same time as my musical partner had decided to stop making music. But yeah. I then had to have the guilt or the burden of, right, well, I've stopped our... The, the part of the career that was the, the two of us, I've chosen to stop that. But that's that's not what you should be taking into account for your own artistic endeavours. And and similarly, yeah. you don't want to be the one to break up the in-betweeners or whatever else. But at some point, that show had to end. So any of you would have been well in your right to go, look, shall we call it a day? But you kind of had to wait for all of you to say, let's yeah, totally. call it a day. Yeah. So you get pulled along and it's like, this isn't this isn't fair. This is an unfair pressure. Yeah. I mean, like I, like I said at the beginning, really, uh, these are all very sort of petty <laughs> grumbles <laughs> about something that has been really great for me and I'm really happy yeah. to have been a part of. I mean, how, 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 how do you keep... I'm going somewhere with this, but how do you keep your ego in check? Because it's, it's, one, it's unusual, incredibly unusual, to be in one kind of cult classic TV show, but a Friday night dinner is another one that is just... It's amazing. So to to be in two of these kind of classic ensemble piece type shows is amazing. So how was that to be part of? And was there any kind of you going, you know what? As soon as that blew up, did you have to check yourself at any point going, you know what? I think it might be me. I think it might. No. I, I think I, <laughs> I, I think I might be the the key here. This is this is me. Uh, no, I mean, just not at all. And I think any, <laughs> if you speak to anyone who works in the TV industry, they'll, they'll say the same. And that, like, really, the bit where you feel, like, pampered and, um, you know, king of the worldy is, is filming, where you're totally infantilised and you get driven to set and you get brought whatever food you want and... Um, You've got sort of runners who you'll, you'll say, oh, I'd um, ask you what newspapers and magazines you want in the green room. And that's great. But, you know, that really... Filming a series lasts six weeks and then you're home and you've got a two-year-old and a four-year-old to look after and um, <laughs> there's a global pandemic. So um, my d- day-to-day life is not affected by that at all. I, you know, I, I do the filming job. I forget about it and I start trying to think of ideas that I can make for TV and or film. And then the shows come out and, uh, yeah, there's like, I'd say on the, on the day it comes out and you see that it's got great viewing figures, obviously you get a little buzz of satisfaction and that's really nice. And it's nice when people come up to you on the street, but it doesn't happen that often. Yeah. And, you know, really most of my year is just being a... Um, self-employed man at home with children uh trying to write stuff so so how is that um because you've you you've said there with acting you have this period when you're doing it and then you come home and it's over and you move on that's not quite the same with directing right because there is a longer you're the one that's in control for that bit longer so how was that as a transition with family life as well that you rap well that's what normally is when you get your wife gets her husband back your kid your kids get their dad back but with a director you rap and there's an ongoing balance to be made yeah totally 
But I mean, it's, it's great because it's just, it's, it's intense and it's lots of work, but it's spread over a, a, a long old period of time. Yeah. You know, the first discussions about making this film were probably like four or five years ago. So really, again, like the only time I was really like just away and not contactable for my wife and kids was the four weeks that we shot it. Yeah. Everything else was just sort of meetings here and there and uh, going to the edit, but you can do that in more normal working hours. Of course, of course. Another weird experience that Friday Night Dinner gave me, one of the quite rightfully standout performances um, is from Paul Ritter. He's just, he's absolutely amazing. He's it's incredible, a tour yeah. de force in it. And <laughs> I probably had seen him in other things, but I don't particularly remember him in other things until that. So that's where I identify him from, which meant that when I was later watching globally acclaimed bleak disaster biopic <laughs> Chernobyl, it was kind of like, it was like, who's that? Wait, that's... <laughs> it's, it's, surely that's... Do you think there's something in those actors who are able to do great comedy and great drama that, that allow them to do comedy in such a standout manner rather than just, here's a comedian or, or whatever else? Because Monica Dolan, again, as we've said, has that... Uh, Olivia Coleman quality of she can be the funniest thing in the show and then the next time she can just be the most dr- dramatic. Do you feel there's a, a key crossover there? Yeah, totally. I think, I think I would say this, obviously. I'm biased. I'm really not talking about myself. But I think <laughs> good comedy actors just make really great dramatic actors because yeah. I think all, all the skills you need for comedy, totally empathy and warmth and all, all of that, and at times sort of biting cynicism, all of that is, is required for drama as well. And it's strange now that the, I feel like in the, in the sort of the heyday of the independent film world, you know, in the 70s, there wasn't really a distinction between, like, drama actors and comedy actors. You know, you see, like, somebody like Dustin Hoffman could be totally hilarious in Tootsie and then equally brilliant in much darker roles as well. So, no, I, I think with Paul, it was, like... What I, what I loved about the casting of Paul for Friday Night Dinner was that he wasn't, like, a established comedy dame. Mm. He, like, he was an amazingly highly regarded theatre actor. And I think the casting director just really, really pushed him. So, I've seen this guy in so many plays. I know he can do it. Please give him a chance. And, yeah, he's he's obviously just incredible. What, what were your... I'll start to wrap things up now as I want to let you get back to your family or oh, I want them to be allowed back in the house I know they're, they're sat on the door <laughs> no, it's, all right. let's, it's getting colder listen, let's out keep, there let's keep this going I've, <laughs> I've got all day <laughs> so wh- wh- what were your kind of or what are your influences from a, a film and TV point of view as a director as, as even as an actor in the kind of things that you want to do what are the things like you've said that you adored being involved in the in-between as it's given you all these things you wouldn't have been able to have before, but it's not necessarily what you would have written or what you would have chosen to make as your own project. So, so what are those kind of influences and, and things like that? Well, I think it's changed over, over the years. Uh, you know, when I was at school, I was just the biggest fan of sitcoms and, uh, you know, especially The Office came out when I was 16 and was like the most yeah. formative thing for me. 
And then when I was at university, because I was starting to do comedy, I was really into live comedy and, and stand-up and, you know, would obsessively go and watch Stuart Lee and, uh, you know, Tim Key. And, yeah. uh, and you're not allowed to say his name anymore, but Louis C.K. Yeah. Um, and I think then as I sort of got my got sort of work in TV and film, I became more interested in how stuff is made that's when I sort of got into films a bit more and, and sort of got to know different directors, uh, back catalogues. Mm. And, you know, that, I think days of the bang on summer came out of that. And that's sort of still where I'm at is I, I think now if I have spare time, which is not that often, I will sit down and watch a film probably rather than anything else. And I guess the, the those names are like, yeah, the, a lot of them are probably quite old. Uh, I'm obsessed with this, uh, director called Elaine May, yeah. Uh, who made this film called The Heartbreak Kid, which is just amazing. And a lot of her sort of contemporaries, like Peter Bogdanovich and Hal Ashby, yeah. sort of the American directors of the of the 70s. They, all, so, yeah, they were the, all people who managed to tell stories of youth really tr- truthfully, but still dramatically and still still big and still impactful, but just really in capturing that, what, what it is to be young. What I love about them is and, that they... They just really have an innate sense of humour. Yeah. Like, and that, even when they're making very serious films, you can't escape that it's funny. Yeah. Um, and they just see the humour in everything. And I like that. I, I, you know, I, those are the sort of films that I love to watch. I, I need there to be a bit, <laughs> a bit of relief. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that, I think that, that's what I'd really love to do, is I'd love to have the opportunity to try and make another film. And... Uh, yeah, as we were discussing earlier, though, I think there was a s- cynical aspect of, like, there's a degree to which it has to be sort of connected in publicity terms to the in-betweeners, yeah. and it has to be in set in England and be able to, we have to be able to film it in London for not very much money at all. Yeah. So hopefully for the next film, some of those will be lifted a little bit and I can do something a bit different. I love that as well, because it's, it's, you've, you've touched upon something there with the actors, but with films in general that... We've got to a place in more recent history where it is so based on... And I think it's partly because of, of the, the different uh, commissioning departments. It's it's so much, well, is it comedy or is it drama or is it this or is it that? Is it horror? Is it? And some of the best films, particularly from the 60s, 70s and so on, it's it's it sounds so, so, so pretentious to say, is it comedy or drama? Go watch it and you decide <laughs> you tell me kind of but that's that's yeah. what it was that the, the dramas always had some comedy and light relief in there and comedies the best of them hit you with drama when you weren't expecting it and really made you relate to those characters and 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 make it more of a experience rather than it being such a clear-cut divide of here's the drama so the, this is the one that's going to be up for awards here's the comedy People will enjoy this, but not give it any artistic merit because it's comedy. And do you know what I mean? I think the the, the, yeah, the, totally. the blurring of those lines is 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 a beautiful. Thing. And I think I think that was there in I said about the office being so formative yeah. for me. I think that was there in the office. To be honest, 100%. I think it was that the, the first one of those sitcoms where you're like, oh god, this is actually how people really talk to each other. Yeah, and like that that. Tim is is sad. Like he's sad about how boring it, his life is, and uh, and you know David Brent. I, I, I've I've met I've met that person. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, definitely. I think comedy is definitely its best when it's like recognisable and real. Completely. So, so uh, to finish things off, what are your plans going f- forward? Is directing the focus? Is acting in other people's work still s- something that excites you, or are you in a period where you'd rather write? Because again, a lot of people, a lot of first-time directors, particularly who have built a name in acting, will put themselves in a in a film because again it can help get the financing and stuff like that but you've chosen to go against that what are your plans going forward with regards to all of I'll the rambling do, i'll just do done? whatever <laughs> <laughs> i'm a i'm a whore um yeah i, I don't know I, I i definitely want to keep directing just because I, I loved it so much um but that's that is definitely not I'm not closing the door on acting. It's more that acting has <laughs> closed the door on me. <laughs> but, um, yeah, like I'm, I'm obviously up for. I'll, I'll always read scripts if they come in. Yeah, uh, but they very rarely do. Uh, and then I don't know. I just I sort of sort of toying around with the idea of maybe doing a bit of stand up or. Great. Um, but I have been toying around with that for years and never quite. <laughs> have the courage to do it mm. so yeah uh, it's um, it's sort of... it's tough with all those things because g- g- generally with stand-up when people start they're shit but there's no one there to see it they're playing yeah, to totally. three people in a room whereas if you're starting and you're already a name then you've not got that comfort blanket of i can be sh- shit while no one's looking and then by the time th- they're looking i can be be great you've kind of got a find a way to get to great or at least pretty damn good immediately, which is a hell of a you've hit pressure. The, you've hit the nail on the head, yeah. You've got a... Yeah, that that is a big, big yeah. problem. <laughs> well, thank you very much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. And um, No yeah, worries, it's been great. I look forward to seeing whatever is ahead and, uh, and, and being in the crowd if you do any absolutely shit stand-up gigs to try and <laughs> okay, yeah. to try and support it's like, oh it was good it was good it was a good it was all right it was fine it was fine yeah, i liked there was one bit i liked what was it um yeah <laughs> yeah well thank you very much and, and thank you for doing a, a a somewhat rare podcast appearance as well so yeah nice oh, no worries and all it's the been, best for the the strange ongoing times in which we live yes ditto excellent we'll see you soon man have a good one <laughs> cheers You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. That was episode 329. Thank you for tuning in. Um, I forgot to mention in the intro, I did an Instagram live that turned into a bonus podcast. So if you go back, not the last episode, the episode before of the Pod Bible podcast, it's myself and Jordan, who is the online editor of Pod Bible discussing changes that we feel we need to make and areas in which we feel we've fallen short. It's a very honest and frank and open discussion. So I'd love it if you went and and gave it a listen. It's the bonus episode. It will say Pod Bible bonus episode. So yeah, in general, check the Pod Bible the Pod Bible podcast out. It's great. I love being involved in it. But that that episode in particular is an in-depth and honest and open chat and there's a really good bit about cakes. All right. I will see you all on Friday and next week. So yeah, tons tons more to come. We're keeping 
busy in lockdown. All right, see you soon. Thank you for tuning in. Bye-bye.